The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Anybody want a chip? Mm. Have one of these. One of these. Boy, sir. <clears throat> George Martin. Juicer. Afternoon. Now, if there's anything you don't like, just let me know. Well, for a start, I don't like your tie. Pity. I just bought it yesterday. Yeah. Well, um, we'll do two singles to start with Love Me Do, and for the follow-up, you can try How Do You Do It. Okay? Sorry, sir. From now on, we only do our own material. Which one are you? Private John Lennon, sir. Well, Lennon, are you trying to teach me my business? No, sir. I'm trying to teach you our business. John, this uh, song could be a number one hit. I hear you've just signed a new group, Epi, called Jerry and the Pacemakers. Why don't you give it to them? I'm sure they could do the hit. Well, Lennon, what would you do for the follow-up? I worked up something as simple as possible. It's called Please Please Me. <laughs> and you reckon that'll be number one? It's strictly for the hit parade. Everything we do is going to be number one. Well, then, let's get to work, so as not to deprive the world of those incredible sounds for one moment longer. That's just what I was saying, sir. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, December 21st, 2017. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright We're joined in studio today by someone who has a cautionary tale about anyone considering a career in the music industry, particularly as a musician in a rock band or perhaps as a manager thereof. And I can't think of a guest who has appeared on our show over some of the most eclectic array of topics all dealing with the entertainment field from pushing the comedy envelope to uh, his fiction book about Ontario politics called Happy Trails. Scott Williams-Oaks, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back in. You're here for a different topic today, which we'll introduce shortly. But before we get underway, let's remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our past broadcasts. Well, Scott, I had no idea you had such an eclectic background in the entertainment field, really, I guess. And you've just put out a new book. Tell us the name of the book and why you wrote it. Sure. So um, after I was finished with Happy Trails, my my son was born. Mm-hmm. So I had not yeah. a lot of spare time. So my priority shifted. And then uh, after he was born and things started to get into a routine, I thought about what's the next thing that I'd I'd like to do. And I saw a lot of like inspirational speaking or like mm-hmm. public speaking stuff on like YouTube and like Joe Rogan podcasts and a lot of podcasts. And, and I come from a, a radio broadcasting background, going to Fanshawe College in London, Ontario for, for radio. You know, I didn't know that till I heard, nope. till I heard your book. Yeah, I graduated. And I've known two, you so long. <laughs> in 2006, I graduated and I worked at a couple of stations. So like entertainment, communication, like the entertainment area, I've always been interested in and a part of. So... For my next project, I knew I wanted to do something that was sort of podcasty or like audio book. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do something different from a written book like I did with Happy Trails. So 
I, I was in a number of bands for like the past 10, 15 years. And some of them ended, you know, not so positively. Others, you know, ended positively, you know, just, you know, stuff just happens sometimes. And we went our, our separate ways, you know, we're still friends. And I thought, you know, I didn't want all that experience and all, all those memories to go to waste. So I thought of a way to sort of impart some wisdom experiences that I had to anybody that's thinking about becoming a musician or is a musician and is finding themselves in a rut. And so it's called Something to Fall Back On. Mm -hmm. And the subtitle is How I Became a Failed Musician and Why You Will Too. I thought that was an amazing title that you gave it. It almost explains the whole book. found it interesting, your very opening quote in the book, uh, given the opener of our show today, which was from a movie that I watched called Birth of the Beatles. Right, and that was John Lennon, uh, not the real John Lennon, that, those were actors playing in that role. But really interesting that you should open your book with a John Lennon quote that read, Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it comes from the song Beautiful Boy um, that Lennon wrote f- uh, for his son Sean. Um, and it's actually kind of eerie because a, a little bit later after that, he was killed. Uh, John Lennon John was shot. Lennon, yeah. And so it's sort of an ominous song. And it was one of the songs that I would rock my son to when he was he was a little baby to, mm-hmm. to get him to go to sleep. And and that's where I thought of the idea to use it for, for something to fall back on because it's like, that's a really good point that Lennon makes. It's like, and sort of f- foreshadowing to what happened to Lennon because it's like, yeah, life does get in the way. So I thought it's perfect fodder for what I wanted to talk about and something to fall back on. Because if you're a musician and you really are interested in it and have talent and are young, you know, you can have a good go at it, but just like in the quote from Lennon, just know that life is going to happen to you in, in many different ways and you'll have to, you know, make some choices and sacrifices and stuff. And and that's sort of an, an overview of, no, what, of, course. of what something to fall back on is about. Sure. You know, that's a truth that really applies to any career of any sort. Yeah. What was it that particularly motivated you to do this book, which is an audio book? You should tell us where tell us where people can get it, by Sure, the way. so you can uh, purchase it for $5 at www.swoaudio, it's all one word, .bandcamp.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can uh, purchase it, the audio file there. Excellent. Well, what... What actually prompted you to do this? Did you, did you have a lot of friends that you find embarking upon this path and you wanted to give a warning or something like that? Because it seems to be a very heartfelt warming, warning rather, to other people. Well, it was primarily like just listening to podcasts and like motivational speakers. That, and I wasn't really seeking for any like motivation or anything. I just, I like people talking. I like having conversations. I like debating with people, learning new ideas, giving them my ideas. And and there was this one motivational speaker that I saw um, that was just like an ad on YouTube. Well, my I was waiting for my next video to load that I was watching, and it um, the pair like paraphrasing the ad. It was just like take something that you're really interested in, know a lot about, are passionate about. And try to capitalize on that. And, and um, I thought, okay, yeah, like that's a great idea. Uh, you know, it, I know a lot about being a musician or trying to be one. I, I know exactly the the pitfalls and, and the roadblocks that I myself ran into. Can't be an isolated 
incident. In my case, there have to be other people that have gone through it. So, well, I have to tell you, after re-listening to your audiobook, I heard it about a year ago when when you first brought it to my attention. But uh, it certainly mirrored the experience of so many films I've seen about other bands going on the road, including the Beatles yeah. and and the sacrifices and issues that they went through as well as, you know, just a host of, of people who are in the music industry, which is changing radically. And, of course, in their time, there was no such thing as the Internet nope. or that kind of promotion. So it was, a, it was an entirely different business. What's, what, what are the big changes that you've seen in the business just in the years that you were involved in the music industry? When I started, and we're talking like 2003, mm-hmm. when I first started at Fanshawe, my first band, Internet was just sort of in its like social um, infancy mm-hmm. with like MySpace. I don't think Facebook was even around when we started, but definitely MySpace where you could upload and Reverb Nation a little bit, but you could upload your music onto MySpace. And there was like mp3.com, like when, it, when I really started out in like high school. So. Moving forward over those couple of years in college, like 2004, five, right when Facebook hit, it was a huge explosion for promoting your band or yourself as a musician, inviting people out to your shows, you know, getting a whole network of other musicians and bands that you can like swap shows with and, you know, help promote each other, a real big community online. So the, the thing I've noticed that's changed the most since I started out was um, just a, a really big great way for musicians to find each other work with each other have play shows with each other and and spread the word whereas right when i started out it was like just here's our music you can listen to it and here's like a couple of dates that we have Mm. so it really exploded with the social aspect what you find was the major motivation behind people getting into the music industry. Like, I play a bit of piano myself, but I've never ever considered joining a band or doing anything like that professionally. Is it is it the money? Is it the music? Is it the fame? Is it just having a good time? Is it the community? Is it all of those things? Like, like On the surface, and definitely for me, there there is a lot of that, it is the fame and, and, and recognition and but on a deeper level, I really feel like it's it's maybe one or two things. It's d- doing something that you love to do. That so it's either, a passion. Yeah, passion that either you've you have natural talent for, or you've worked really hard at perfecting. Doing that f- for your life, for, for as a live to make a living, like not having to work in you know a nine to five job. You know, even though being in a band as is a lot of work is a lot of work um it's almost worth well it is worth it because it's it's your dream it's your passion it's it doesn't sometimes it doesn't even feel like work and i think that appeals to a lot of people also mastery over an instrument for a lot of people i think especially the perfectionist ones and i don't mean that in like a pejorative way but like understood it's just like i really want to get good at this and if i work hard at it you know good things will happen excellent so you said that people who get into this industry should be expecting to fail at it. Pretty much like 98, 99% of the time, yeah, I would imagine. And so is that, is that your experience with what you've seen in the industry or with the people that get involved? 
Um, from the, the people that I talked to uh, and interview in, in the audiobook and my personal experiences, it's, uh, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of failure. You know, it, it's not what people think it is. So definitely in my experience, it's, it's been just like one from one band to another band to another band to another band. And um, I would assume that it's, that's the case for most, if not pretty much all people that are trying to make it as a career musician and the older it's and this is sort of the same in a lot of industries in entertainment like modeling or acting it's like the older you get the harder it gets to achieve that goal well yeah you have to have the energy well let's talk about what people actually um why they get into this despite these odds we'll talk about that when we come back right after this Keep it like that. Keep it pumping. Hey, Miguel! Hey! Not bad for a Tuesday night. Not bad at all. They up in here tonight. It's like the whole city turned out. Yeah. I'm a long way, baby. Long way. Long way. All right, partner. Yeah. Oh, hey. Could you help me? I'm looking for the owner. Pluto Nash. Why would you be looking for a low life like that? It's personal. It can't be personal. I don't even know you. Yes, he does. No, I don't. You're him? Yeah, last time I checked. How can I help you? I just came all the way up here from Salt Lake City. Rough town. Yeah, and I'm a singer. A good one. I got this gig and they gave me this one-way ticket up here, but the guys who own the nightclub sold it or something, and I'm dead broke. I just need a job. So basically... You know, I just want to go home, and I was wondering if you could help me out. I'm sorry, I can't help you. I'm sure it's a bunch of clubs up here that can use a good, strong singer, but we got a DJ. Take it easy. Well, I'm sure they could, but... My moon card expired, and I was told you were the one person in town who might actually overlook that. Oh, really? Who told you something foolish like that? I think you know my father, Nicholas Lake. No, never heard of him. Nicky Sticks? Nicky Sticks, I know. That's your father? Unbelievable. That's something. Wow. Well, normally I don't call him favors, but my dad did save your life back in 76. Wait a second. He didn't save my life in 76. I saved his life, and I lost a fine automobile in the process. So unless you got a a brand new Plymouth out there with my name on it, I got nothing to say to you, okay? So good night. Thanks, Dad. I should have known. I'm sorry. Hey! Maybe I got some. Really? Great. Shall we say two shows a night, five nights a week? Shall we say uh, six nights a week, waiting tables, you can save up your tips, make enough money to get back home. How about that? Deal? Deal. To build a sewer. They're moving him regardless of expense. They dug up his remains to put in five inch trains to satisfy some posh bloke's residence. Now, what's the use of having religion? 
When you're dead, your troubles never cease. When some high society crank needs a pipeline to his tank, they won't let poor old father rest in peace. What'd you think? I don't know what to think, Tony. I mean, it's, uh, you got a dress on? No, hey, I do not have a dress on. This is a kilt, man. Scottish tradition. Very manly, a kilt. It's, yeah, it's a manly dress. No, it's a kilt. That's how people know who I am. It's Look, people think of Anthony Frankowski, they immediately think Scottish crooning. And there lies your problem, exactly. What is that Scottish crooning? That's not even a thing. Did you make that up? Yes, I made that up. It's a thing if I made it up. It's horrible. It's horrible. It's my hook. It's horrible. You know what you need to do if you're going to croon? Be Italian. You know, be, be Anthony Frantucci. Want me to change my name? Yeah, he did something that swings. Anthony Frangici. That doesn't swing. Anthony Francis. Anthony... Tony Francis. Do you like that? I'm Tony Francis. Tony Francis. Tony Francis. That's a good name. So you're Tony Francis. Man. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Francis. Absolutely. I like that name. Lose the dress, change the name. Is your bathroom back there? Uh, through the doors. Tony Francis. stars let me see what spring is like on jupiter and mars in other words hold my hand in other words baby kiss me why don't you feel what an amazing act it's so different so original What makes you so sure he'll help us out? Well, he'll help us. He couldn't sing a note if it weren't for me. You taught Tony Francis how to sing? No, I convinced uh, Bookie not to pour some acid down his throat. In the studio with Scott Williams Oaks and Scott. So tell us a bit about your personal experience and and I guess was it a bad trip for you? Was it was it was it a downer? Was it fun? Was it up and down? Like, I would I would say, not entirely. Like I would say, most of the experiences I had were great. I have uh, lifelong friends that I've made. I have some people that I'm no longer friends with. And the, those are part and parcel to the lessons that I learned. But I, I wouldn't change anything that happened. Like, I'm, I'm the person I am today because of playing with those people, being a musician since I was basically, like, 18, 19 years old, up until a couple of years ago when I sort of hung up, you know, the guitar, as it were. But my, my personal account is, like, I, I was in five bands over the course of, like, 10, 11 years, started out in 2003 joining two other musicians who were looking for a bass player i play bass primarily they were looking for a bass player a heavy metal band at, at fanshawe college fanshawe is a great place for musicians or at least it was when i went there i don't know what it's like now mostly 
do in part to the music industry arts program at Fanshawe. And what made that great? A lot of connections? A lot of connections, uh, a lot of coffee houses, uh, a lot of student-run concerts at the Outback Shack, which is a, a student bar at Fanshawe College. And just a lot of networking, you know, posters up on bulletin boards like, we're looking for a keyboardist or we're looking for a singer. In my case, I'm I'm a bass player looking for a, a band to join. Mm-hmm. So within like a day, I got a response from who, two guys who I'm, I'm friends with till this day still. But things didn't, you know, work out. I was ousted from the band because I, I was taking it more seriously than they wanted to. And, and that's something that, uh, I speak to in the book is, you know, make sure the people that you're playing with are on the same page as you. If you have different goals or things in mind for the band or the direction you want to take it, and the other people are like, whoa, let's, let's pull back a little bit. You know, it's it's not really what we w- intended for it, or it could seem like, and in, in, in my well, case, well, well, do these conversations come up so late in the relationship? Or unfortunately, yeah, because in my case, it was like a, a long email. And sort of just came out of nowhere. And I don't have any animosity towards them now because, you know, like I just moved on and joined another band and did some other things with my life. And I I since worked on other projects with the singer of that band, like creatively, like a couple of books and a children's book. So they didn't want to take the band where I wanted to. And so... The other things that I ran into in, in the other bands are things like, um, you know, personality clashes, um, especially when it comes to like b- personal beliefs or image that you want for the band, you know. Well, I thought it very odd that one of the observations you made in your book was that in one of the bands you were in, they were religious and you weren't. That's that's right. And, and it didn't what, bother That, that would be the last thing I would think of. It didn't bother them at first, and it it turned out like near the end, it was bothering them a lot more than they were letting on. Well, how would religion possibly affect your music unless you were doing gospel music or something like that? Well, just like image, like the the kinds of places that a rock band, and this was like a metal band too, it was like an orchestral mu- metal band with like keyboard sequences and stuff like over top of like heavy metal guitar and very beautiful singing like we talented people no Mm -hmm. doubt but like the types of places that a metal band plays the types of people that you meet and work with takes you down i recall some of the london bars you mentioned and it was funny that so many of them have burned down down. (laughs) sort of ominous but and they just they they ended up becoming just really uncomfortable with the the way that they described it to me was we we have strayed so far away from our comfort zone where we wanted to take this band that we need to, you know, do something about it. So what happened with that band is me and two other guys from the band broke away from it and, and started like a, oh. a new band. Mm-hmm. But and that's just the some of the things that I, I ran into was just like personality clashes, you know, where you want to take the band, you know, you all have to be on the same page with one another and have open lines of communication because this is something that you're going to potentially be doing for the rest of your life. And everything just has to click and you have to be open and communicate with each other and, you know, be mature about it and have the ambition to, um, you know, deal with whatever you need to deal with. It seems to me one of the 
scariest parts about being in a band, especially if you're doing live music, mm-hmm. is actually being in front of front of an audience. And you know, I, I in watching a lot of the movies I previewed to prepare for this show with people, you know, the history of various rock bands and stuff like that. Uh, I, I know you you made a point of you might be dealing with a liquored up fan who wants to wants to hear Pink Floyd or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And and a lot of that goes on. How do you deal with that? That's got to be. You have to be a certain, I don't know, character type to be. To yeah, be you have to, to have a really thick skin, and, and that's something that I I bring up as well in one of the chapters. The chapters of the books are like th- different themes that mm-hmm. you might run into, and confidence plays a really big role in whether you are successful or not. If you are able to let things like roll off your back and have thick skin and do it for you, the crowd sees that. If you have a lack of confidence in yourself and your ability, you know, what you're able to or not able to do on stage and you let that eat at you, that comes across as unconfident and the and the crowd sees that how, how does that manifest itself like i mean you could fake confidence couldn't you you could totally fake confidence like one of the singers in, in one of the bands i was in like had a huge confidence problem and you know i don't fault them for it like it's understandable you know a lot of people deal with that stuff but when you're the front person of a group and that unconfidence shows on stage it makes the show feel weird you know the crowd loses interest but if you're one of those front people that are just like very commanding and you're not you're not being a jerk to the audience but you're taking control of the show and you're making it fun and like the other musicians in in the band you know respond to that and bounce off of it and you have a really good show it definitely can make your desire to work hard at it and, and try to make it a career even that more powerful if someone were to enter this industry for the first time and had a talent, what would you recommend to them where to start? I would recommend getting moderately good at your instrument first, whether you're someone who learns reading sheet music or like the you know the classical way of being trained. Uh, do that. You know, I've been classically trained, and I couldn't sit down and read sheet music, Neither sight music at all. But I can, I can decipher it and then practice it and, yeah. and play it later. Or if you're someone like me, and a lot of musicians are like this, you just learn by ear. Just make sure if you're, I'm just using a guitar as an example or a bass guitar. You know, make sure you're in the right tuning and your guitar is tuned up, and just you know, throw on a record and just play along to it. You know, you're going to make a lot of mistakes at first, but figure out where on the fretboard, you know, that note is and where that note is and then play play the song again and repeat. And that's how I taught myself. If, if you're someone who self-teaches, do that. Get moderately good at the instrument. You know, if you're someone who learns by taking lessons and reading sheet music, any way you can get moderately good for starters is, is a great start. Then once you're comfortable with that, find other people to play with learn how to write songs together mm-hmm. or at least if you want to go you know playing covers for starters go that route learn other people's music you know just get some live experience at like shows interesting because i noticed in today's music world there are incredible instruments out there particularly keyboards and such that mm-hmm. can really mimic other instruments right and, yeah. and put out some great sounds is that an acceptable thing for someone to get up in front of an audience with, say, just a keyboard and then do a guitar solo or something like that? Because it seems to me, for live music, people part of the um, attraction would be to actually watch the person's talent, even if it's not just about listening to the music. 
I think it goes back to what I was saying about confidence. It's like if you don't let it bother you and you just show the crowd that you're playing this instrument very well, you're having a lot of fun, you don't really care, you care what they think, but you you appear like you don't care what they think, you know, you're there to play for them, uh, not so much they're there to pass judgment on you, I think that they'll be entertained by it. And, and there are a lot of different technologies that are out there now, like sequencing, like the, the orchestral metal band that I was in, we had a, a sequencing track that we would play through like an mp3 player or a computer like programmed so it was kind of like a pre pre recorded yeah, yeah and okay. we would play over top of that and no one seemed to even care or notice or, or call us out on it because it was it like an extra instrument and the it sounded great the crowd had a really good time as long as you just pay no attention to it and it, the, the audience won't then that's an interesting observation and then there of course there's other aspects to having a band that I know, noticed that you referred to things like clothes, hairstyle, the look of the band. That's almost mm-hmm. more marketing than playing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's a, a really tricky area sometimes because sometimes you can overthink it and, and to where it sucks the fun out of it. One of the bands that I was in subscribed to like a sort of a coaching service, things like image and clothing and confidence and financial, get, getting your finances in order and what you could do to make extra money and if you take it as like a teaching method, but also not let it take all of your time up, you know, sometimes, you know, you have to let the rubber hit the road and actually put the plan into action. So yeah, like there's, there's many different things that you can use as like a tool, but it has to be done evenly in sequence with a lot of different other things. And of course you have to have everybody on the same page on, on same that page, one as yeah. well. I know when I was watching the movie The Birth of the Beatles the, in their early history with Pete Best, one of the things that was always commented on that he didn't have the Beatle haircut, mm. right? And he didn't have the look. The mop top. And he, he wasn't moving along with the rest of the band. And that was one of the reasons they dismissed him and then picked Ringo as their drummer. Yeah, no, there was the, one of the bands I was in, you know, was very conscious about like, we wear this color. And we wear these type of shoes and we look like a unit. And I sometimes didn't take it as seriously because it's just like I was more concerned about our sound and our confidence and just having a good time. And like I said earlier, if you focus on like the little tiny minutiae things too much, you're not focusing on what I perceived as the more important stuff, having a fun show, because I think ultimately people are just focused on the music. Right. And that's not always the case. A lot of people are focused on image and they're the for style. the experience and, yeah. and the whole, whole But for the most part, the majority I think are there for just the music and having a really cool music and, and time to listen to in a good show. And we were poor. We couldn't afford psychiatry. We couldn't even afford psychic or atry. We were poor, you know what I'm saying? Blues singers would show up at our house where they had writer's block. That's how poor we were, psychiatry boy. My daddy's name was Jack Daniels Crenshaw. No surprise, what he liked to drink? I guess you can figure it out. Used to drink down there at a bar called Russell's every night. And the, uh, the owner, Russell, had a Jack Russell named Daniel. Some of the most conversations you've ever seen in your life. All the nights my daddy come home with Jack Russell on his breath. You didn't even ask questions when that happened. Just go upstairs and hide under the mattress. I need help. Help me. 
And if you don't know what real country music is, I'm happy to tell you. It's lying there on the floor with that Jack Daniels because a woman's done walked across your heart like a Samoan man in golf shoes. And you think there ought to be a way to take all this depression and heartache and turn it into some instant cash. Take your songs down to other Nashville and play them. And they say, it ain't country enough because country is Shania Twain. <laughs> like a game anymore, Epi. Seems crazy. What does? When people screaming and running after us. I don't know what they want. I mean, does that seem normal to you? The way they're behaving? Half the world thinks we're a bloody joke and the rest of them think we're God. What do you think we are, Brian? I think you're John Lennon. John, I want you to remember something. No single one of you is the Beatles. Each one of you is a part. Paul is the heart of the group. George, it's so. You're the mind. And Ringo? He's the flesh and blood. Real travelling medical show, aren't we? You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who make it possible for us to continue our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived, not just for your listening enjoyment and convenience, but also as a record of our dedication, consistency, and principled approach to the discussion of all things just right about freedom and capitalism, two elements definitely that are part of the music industry and even of the book industry, no matter how you look at it. We're in the studio with Scott Williams Oaks, who's had some very a lot of personal experience in this regard. And I thought, Scott, we'd talk about your actual book, the publication itself. Mm. Very enjoyable, by the way. It, 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 it runs by so fast, I, I, I can't believe it's over already, right? So tell us a bit about the book and how you structured it. I know as well that you've used a lot of audio bites and clips from other sources in the production of that so that we hear other people in the music industry relating their experiences and advice to others. Exactly. I wanted to, the first the format of the book, I wanted to do it chronologically f- from the very first band that I was in to the, the last band I was in, just sort of show chronologically the problems that I ran into from band to band to band to band. And with, with having the guest speakers on, I thought, you know, someone might listen to this and say, well, why should I heed the words of some person who failed? like who gives a crap what this person says he's not successful because that's what people are like sometimes they want to hear from experts and you know as dave Plum said (laughs) you know sometimes experts you know aren't experts experts. but i just thought it would it would add a little bit more of a punch to ask people that have been successful at it because that success i assumed and and rightly so when i talked to them came with a lot of sacrifice so i interviewed industry 
commentator and radio mogul Alan Cross. He has the ongoing history in music, um, I think, which is a it's on course entertainment stations. Yeah. He's out of Toronto. I interviewed Scott Anderson, the singer of Finger Eleven. I interviewed Alan Doyle from Great Big C. Max Sherman from uh, the Ark House. Mm-hmm. I interviewed. Um, so all those, it, it was so on, all those interviews were heard in the book were actually from your interviews. Yeah, I I, well, con- what, I, con- I contacted them, and you know a lot of knows. Because right. there was other people, like, I tried to get Getty Lee, and they're like, they're not doing anything right now. Well, they're I'll, retired. And I'm like, I'm, okay, cool. Like, I'm very surprised by that, because this is the first I understood that to be the case. Because yeah. up until now, I thought you had just borrowed audio bites from no, other No, every other single sources. one of those are me talking to them myself. Wow. Over the phone or in person. And I just wanted to make a, a correction. It was Max Kerman from the Arkells. Okay. I also did the singer of Monster Truck. The singer of a Conline Crush. There is a really great. Be honest with you, some of these bands I don't know. That's that's, that's okay. Really, yeah. They're they're prominent Canadian groups, yeah. and, and I think they're all Canadian. Uh, John Harvey from Monster Truck, uh, the singer from a Conline Crush as well. There's also a Toronto-based metal band that's doing really well for themselves right now on the independent level. I'm really proud of them, and they're a couple of personal friends of mine called Diamonds. I also interviewed L- L- London local Sarah Smith. Mm-hmm. and a drummer uh, named Pete Comrie who is in a, a band called Tommy Rot who has played a lot around the London area, all for their you know points of view. So if I may ask, how long did it t- take you to put all this together? This was not something you just sat down and didn't have in, in all, a little more longer than... I would than... say eight months. Wow. Yeah. Right. I, I came up with the idea in about early June of last year. And it took me until about maybe November, December to get it finished. And then I put it out this February. I released it. So it's been out for almost a year now on Bandcamp. But I just started calling people up. And I have a little tape recorder that I just put beside the phone. Or I would meet uh, the Priya Panda, who is the singer of Diamonds. I met her in person when they played in London. So she was done in person, but mostly over the phone for everybody. And... I wanted to ask them, you know, the stuff that they've experienced, the stuff that they've gone through, the the risks and the sacrifices based thematically on what I had ran into myself. Now, would you regard a lot of these musicians as people in the business on their way to failure or people in the business who are actually... They, they've it, made it. They've made Quote it in that 2%. They're yeah. in the 2%. And I wanted to talk to people from, like, just starting out to independent level to major success so like for example like pete comrie from tommy rot and sarah smith and diamonds you know are all all on the lower level and then you have bands like a conline crush and the arkells and finger 11 and and monster truck that are currently killing it right now especially the arkells the arkells are huge right now and and finger 11 have been huge. I think Finger Eleven played New Year's Eve uh, in London last year, but like huge Canadian bands that a lot of listeners in Canada and, and in the United States would have heard, especially like A Conline Crush and, and you know Finger Eleven and stuff like that. Now, when a band becomes successful then, if you follow their their lifetime track, 
do they stay successful for a long period of time, or do they all quit for the same reasons, or retire, or just play till they're they've played out? You know what I'm saying? I'm not sure. Like some of them are still going. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them, you know, their bands are defunct now, and they've gone on to do solo stuff. I know that uh, Alan Doyle is doing like solo work now. I don't think Great Big C is together anymore. I don't think Econline Crush is doing anything major right now, but you know, they all have the common thread of a lot of sacrifice and, and a lot of them are successful and, and they're still working in the music industry because they have made those sacrifices and it's paid off for them. So s- things like not having a family mm-hmm. or if you have a family, they're, they're going to have to be used to you being away a lot. And, you know, that might put strain on your relationship with your significant other, your relationship with your children. A lot of resentment can be generated there. You know, anybody who goes into music should just immediately from the get-go not expect to make a lot of money, if at all. I say in, in the book, I've paid more money than I've made. Really? Like, I've spent more money on music. I don't know if I noticed that detail, yeah. but... Um... I've spent more money on music than I've ever made out of it, but I've gotten a lot of pleasure. I've learned a lot about myself and about other people and just had a really good time, but... For the first number of years, like don't expect to make any money whatsoever. Expect it to be out of pocket. Expect to come back from a tour if you get out on tour at all in the negative, especially not so much now because you can do a lot online yourself um, with like Bandcamp and PayPal and iTunes. and. Mm. Um, Has that made things easier for musicians? I think so because they can do a lot of uh, do-it-yourself stuff. They're not totally reliant on a music label because what would happen traditionally is um, a music label would go here's five hundred thousand dollars go make a record go on tour but we want that five hundred thousand dollars back and then some and if you don't you still owe us that money so a lot of bands especially if they get into drugs and alcohol problems you know or women or men or just like waste the money that they should be paying back to the record label. It it can and has turned out bad for a lot of bands. So now that the internet is so huge with iTunes and Bandcamp and you can crowdfunding like Indiegogo or, you know, Kickstarter, you can do a lot of it yourself. And so making money from it is a lot easier now from like a do-it-yourself standpoint. But Especially since you can cut your expenses exactly down to you know, I mean, if you could do it in your living room or whatever, you know, and, and put. I've I've seen some inter- interesting um, productions done by people I met up at the University of Western Ontario when we were up at CHRW. Yeah, and I was amazed what some of the kids up there were doing just with their keyboards. I remember one of my radio operators. Um, I had to ask her who her band was. Right. Turned out her band was the same keyboard I had, <laughs> you know, and she, she was great. She could sing and mm. she did videos and put them online and was very successful uh, in terms of the response and getting ads off of YouTube and stuff like that, right? That's a, whole, that's a whole new world for musicians. You'd think that in a sense there, that the success rate should have gone up. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I also think too, though, being able to do it a lot on your own now, also comes with the caveat that 
you're going to have to work really hard at it because the, the comfort when you were on a label. Well, don't you always have to? <laughs> like, I mean, how, how is this a new caveat? Well, like w- when people were on a label. Oh, I see. Y- you they fu- did a lot of the work for they, you. They did a lot of work. Well, that's why you owed them a lot of money once the album and tour cycle were over because it's like we did everything for you. And in a lot of cases, it's like, and then you blew all of our money. So we're back to square one now, but you still owe us that money. But so it's sort of like what Jordan Peterson says. It's like you have a, to take a lot of responsibility for yourself. And if, you, if you're doing it all yourself with music and having all these crowdfunding sites and taking everything you know, care of everything yourself. It's a huge responsibility, a lot of work. You know, a lot of people have day jobs and, and families to worry about and, you know, making ends meet. And that's why I say, you know, it's probably best. And it's sort of bad to say it's and depressing a little bit. It's like, try to have, if you're a young musician, try to have or take on as little responsibility as possible so that you're just doing music and music alone. Maybe you have a day job, pays the bills your employer is very understanding it lets you go out on tour for a couple weeks and then come back but make sure that your responsibilities and your finances are in order so that you're able to pursue going out on the road and being broke from making an album until it starts paying off because in my case and 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 i'm not blaming anybody or you know, poor me, poor me. Cause you know, I realized it myself and I'm, I'm very happy with the life I have in my family. But if you're somebody that has children or a significant other, you might have to make that decision where what's more important to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I had been playing music for 10 years. I, I tried to give it a go. Didn't pan out. doesn't pan out for like 98%. And this is not an official stat, but a great number of people fail. You might have to ask yourself, is it time for me to hang them up? And that's what I came to the realization too. It's like, it's time for me to grow up. I gave it a go. It didn't work out. I'm very happy with what I have now. And these are my responsibilities now. Let's uh, talk a little bit about the history of the group. I understand, Nigel, you and David originally started the band uh, back in, when was it, 1964? Well, before that, we were in different groups. I was in a group called The Creatures, which was a skiffle group. I was in Lovely Lads. Yeah. And then we looked at each other and said, so well, we might as well join up, you know. And, uh, so we became uh, the originals. Right. And uh, we had to change our name, actually. Well, there's, yeah. a, there's another group in the East End called The Originals. And uh, we had to rename ourselves. And the new originals. New originals. Yeah. And then uh, they became the regulars. They changed their name back to the regulars. And we thought, well, we could we could go back to the originals about what's the point. And we became the Thamesmen at that point. Stop wasting my time. You know what I want. You know what I need. Oh, maybe you don't. Do I have to come right flat out and tell you everything? Give me some money. Give me some money. How would you characterize your relationship with David over the years? Has it changed in any way? Not really. I mean, you know, they go. we've grown up. We're closer than brothers. His brothers always fight sort of uh, disagreements and all that and we really have a relationship that's 
way, way past that. Can't concentrate. This, we can't do this. This is unbelievable. No, it's not this unbelievable. Is unbelievable. At all. Will you it check me on this? Could you check me on this? Am I losing my mind? I, I, do, I, I don't understand what this has to do with anything. You play to predominantly, uh, a, a predominantly a white audience. Do you feel your music is racist in any way? No. No, no, no of course all. not. We, you know, we say, we say, love your brother. We don't say it really, but we don't literally say it. No, we don't say we it. We don't really literally all. mean it. No, we don't but believe we're not it racists. either. But that message should be clear anyway. We're anything but racist. You know, we've grown musically. I mean, you listen to some of the rubbish we did early on. It was stupid. Yeah. You know, now, we're, I mean, a song like Sex Farm, we're taking a sophisticated view of the idea of sex. You know, and, and music it on a farm. Yeah. If I were to ask you what your philosophy of life or your creed, what would that be? Have a good time all the time. That's my philosophy, Marty. I believe virtually everything I read, and I think that is what makes me more of a selective human than someone who doesn't believe anything. Do you have a, a philosophy or a creed that you live by? Well. Personally, I like to think about sex and drugs and rock and roll, you know, that's yeah. my life. If you were to have something written as your epitaph... Here lies David St. Hubbins. And why not? You feel that sums up your No, it's your the life. first thing I could think of. Oh, really, I see. It doesn't sum up anything, really. Yeah. Just in case we get too involved in our conversation and forget to mention it again, you want to just mention, Scott, where people can get your audio book? And it's it's fun to listen to, folks. Give, give it a listen. It's a lot of fun, especially if you're considering a musical career or, or even just a passion in this. You might want to yeah. learn a few lessons or about if it. You're, if you're a fan of music in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, once again, it's called Something to Fall Back on, How I Became a Failed Musician and Why You Will Too. You can download it for $5 at www.swoaudio.bandcamp.com. Excellent. Now, you know, I I know that you mentioned in your book when I just re-listened to it recently that you found that you were getting in your own way in in the sense of working with... what, What did you mean by that? Sometimes people's biggest obstacles themselves. How did you see yourself as being your own obstacle? That's a major thing to admit to yourself or to realize, isn't it? No, it's or, or was it after after the fact? A little bit during and, and after. It's just like, it's like I really want to accomplish this thing. But then I, I do all of these other things that prevent me from seeing that through to the way I want it to go. 
So sometimes the biggest obstacle that people have is themselves. They have the drive, they have the ambition, they have the goal in mind, but then they sabotage themselves in some way or another. And and like I said in the last segment, like I don't hate my life at all. I love my kids. I love my wife. I, I'm I'm still, wrong, yeah. I'm still doing creative things, active in the community. Uh, I have a very fulfilling life. Um, but, you know, for people who are like, say, I want to say like 20 or not 21, you know, who are just starting out as musicians, if that's something that you really want to pursue as a career, you're going to have to miss out on a lot of stuff. Or if you do have a lot of people and responsibilities in your life, you're going to disappoint a lot of people. You're going to hurt a lot of people's feelings. You're going to be broke. You're going to most likely ask people for money and rely on the good graces and help from a lot of people. And if you're somebody that's just doing it on your own, that has not a lot of responsibilities to worry about and are willing to, you know, sleep on people's floor Mm -hmm. or drive from one end of the country to the other in in a gross van with like four other people who after weeks of travel are just gross themselves and you're gross as well. That's the stuff that you're going to have to do. That's the stuff that people don't see. I know that one of the people you interviewed, I'm not sure which one mentioned that you get into this business, it's not just a job, it's a life Mm -hmm. and that you really almost don't have a quote unquote personal life. I think that was the singer of a Conline crush. Yeah. Yeah. Is that pretty well a universal truth? Yeah. I believe what he said was, it's like, you, you have no personal life. He, I, and I believe what he said was, he has a, a traveling bag that he would bring home and he would put it in his room with all of his stuff that are, is in boxes. And his, his girlfriend always tries to unpack that traveling bag, but he's just like, what are you doing? Like, I'm just going to be leaving in, in a week right. or two anyway, so just leave it unpacked. You know, I can't help but, but feel when I hear somebody living that kind of lifestyle. To me, it sounds a bit lonely. Is, is there a lot of that? Yeah, definitely. One thing I experience, and I wonder if other musicians experience this too, is when, when I was playing shows, and like it would lead up to the show and you, the anticipation and then you would play the show and feel great playing the show like a high like it was a drug yeah, and then you get the- and, and then as soon as the show's over you're loading your stuff back up in the van you're driving home i just felt so crappy like i was coming down from it and i can see why some people get you know addicted to drugs and alcohol and promiscuity cuz it's like yeah, playing shows is fun and, and t- touring and traveling and having a lot of this a- admiration and people liking my music. But I'm a very, uh, people are lonely on the road. You know, they're away from their mm-hmm. family and sometimes that can, a type of person that they are, can ma- they can make some bad choices. And yet a lot of the imagery you often get of people in bands is that it's a very communal kind of life and everybody's enjoying themselves together and no one's ever lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any a lot of that going on too or is it a... Is that just an illusion? One example that's sort of along those lines is there was a band that was playing in Detroit that one of the people I speak to was playing in. And they thought everything was going great with their band fellow bandmates. Well, they wake up the next day and one of their members bunks on the bus. It's completely empty. His stuff's no, not, nowhere on the bus. They find out from the driver and their tour manager that... Oh, yeah, he left and joined this other band and is playing with them. Oh, my goodness. In, in, in another 
<laughs> club in Detroit tonight. Totally did not tell them how he was feeling or that he had an offer from this other band. Just picked up, grabbed his stuff in the middle of the night and left the bus. And, and that goes back to being on the same page as one another and, and enjoying the people that you're going to spend most of your life with if you're serious about this. But they could be totally not on the same page as you, feeling something completely different and you wouldn't even know it. So yeah, it definitely affects people. I remember the singer of Econoline Crush telling me that once he finished in Econoline Crush, he he went to school for like counseling and like addictions and stuff and, and helping people out through counseling. And he, he realized that a lot of people who are touring musicians have, you know, mental issues and, and depression and, and stuff they need to work out because it can really affect people that way. So it's just well, a whole bunch of stuff you have to look out for if you're really serious about this. Funny you say that because one of the universal things I hear about music is is often, and maybe it's true in writing too, is that often the best stuff comes out of people when they're in that state. Mm-hmm. And that, that it almost invites that kind of a mindset. It's kind of therapeutic. I think you think of cathartic. Yeah, cathartic or therapeutic. Yeah, almost the same thing. And in terms of dealing with that depression and getting it out or expressing it or, or, you know, handling it somehow. Well, that's why a lot of songs that are written are are about some pretty deep stuff, you know. I guess it's their way of getting it out or processing it somehow. That's why a lot of people can identify with those types of songs when they listen to them because it's like, I know what that person was feeling when they wrote that. I found an interesting comment you made in the book. I think it was in the final chapter, you talked about people in the industry lying to themselves. And then you said, until they hit the brick wall. Yeah. Now, that term brick wall is familiar. Yeah, I I threw that in there. Yeah, because that was one of the monikers you've been using to express yourself. You're well known on a lot of the talk show radio shows in the area, and you've been using that that phrase. Is that that what was in your mind in, in, in creating that and using that term the brick wall it just it just came to mind and i thought it it fit really well um and sort of it was like a little nudge and a wink to the previous stuff that i have done for those who have followed you know my other work and stuff but no it's true like if you don't have your head on your shoulders are serious about it are, are willing to make the risks and sacrifices that a lot of musicians say oh no that won't happen like it's gonna go the way i think it's gonna go it's like no it's not you know and if it doesn't, you just readjust and go again. What is it? It's like shoot. Mm-hmm. It's like aim, fire, and then aim again, and then <laughs> fire again. Right. That's pretty much like the music industry. And it, it's definitely um, a tumultuous time right now because sort of the old guard of like record labels is changing to the new guard, which is like doing it yourself. And we can make money uh, this on our own, but we you know have to sacrifice a lot. A lot of time, a lot of tears, a lot of angst and anger amongst y- your your partner, your family, your fellow bandmates, and you just watch out for it if you're really serious about doing it. Well, thanks for joining us today, Scott. And on that musical note, we're up against our own brick wall right now <laughs> as our time runs out for this week. Thank you. And uh, to our listeners, please join us again next week when we'll be continuing our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes, 
Hey, baby. How you doing? Yeah, look, I just played your new song. Well, let me see. The, the bridge is very weak. Well, the tempo's awful. The lyric? Stinks. I think you got another smash. Congratulations. Look, I'm ordering 100,000 records, and that's just the beginning. 